Next step number 676, May 20th, 2021. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into the next step with Father Vodskin. We are the voice of Armadoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. We reach out to those who are searching for practical and deeper applications of faith, the disenfranchised members of the church community, and the neophyte, those who are discovering truths in ancient Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here, and if you're a regular listener, welcome back. Now, let's get ready to take the next step. Faith achieved its authenticity only by questioning God. How's that, huh? Yeah, welcome, welcome to the next step. We're together for the next few minutes and uh, taking the next step. And we've been doing this now for almost 13 years. I think we're celebrating our 13th anniversary. I always get this one mixed up. We we celebrate our 13th anniversary, which means we start our 14th year. So we've been, we're in our 13th year of podcasting. Let's see, the easier way is just, (laughs) we started in 2008. Okay, yeah. So it's going to be our 13th anniversary. Uh, next month coming up. Yeah, we've been doing this, taking the next step, and I've been sharing ideas with you, what we call armadoxy and how we've arrived here. And, and you know, when we first started, never had an idea where we would end up. We just started putting them together, and every week we'd get together. And here we are, coming together with a lot of ideas that sometimes I, as the you know, as the podcaster, as the guy who's putting these ideas out, question myself. Like, am I on the right track? I mean, this is. I think. I think people do this, right? I, I hope I'm not the only one. I, th- I think it's a sign of Christian, um, Christian discipline, right? To question yourself, to question these these ideas, and certainly you've heard it from me, right? That. Even our Bible study program that we have once a week, we gather for Bible study, we call it Questions in Faith. And this is kind of like a little name for the Bible study that I came up with years ago when I realized that it's not really a Bible study. I mean, what are you going to do? Study the Bible, study the pages. It's really about questioning, questioning those things because I think, and, and you've heard me say it how many times, I think, Our greatest learning experiences are those when we have an opportunity to question. I mean, pick up a book and you start reading it, and what does it do to your mind? It stimulates it in a a fashion that you start questioning the things that you're doing, the things that you're familiar with, the traditions that you know. We start questioning the habits that you have. And um, ultimately, it gets down to the point of questioning God, right? I mean, isn't that the entire point of what happens to Job in the Bible? That that story that people love, you know, God just like messes this guy's life up and, and Job is sitting there and keeps taking it. And the entire questioning, what happens in the wilderness with Jesus and the tempter, right? 
question, question, what's going on? If God, if you really are the son of God, go ahead and do this, do that. If really God loves you, do it. And we question God because things don't happen the way we want them to happen. We have this idea that somehow there's a, it's a cause-effect relationship between us and God so that we put it out there and it should happen. And when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, we, we question. It's only natural. I know that in the Armenian experience, this has been a very big, big experience when people ask, you know, like, where is God in the midst of all of these tragedies that we see? And it is a very legitimate question. I mean, when you think about God in the sense that he's some kind of personified deity that's sitting up there deciding the fate of the next pawn that will be moved and uh, in this giant chess game which we call life. And I think a lot of people, rightly so, have this image of uh, God being that, that, that chess guru, that chess player that knows the moves, where to take them, what to do and everything. And uh, it's natural. People question God for a lot, a lot of different reasons. And, you know, I, I, I was sitting around the other day. I checked out this new book. Well, new for me, excuse me. Um, 2011. This is by James Cone. James Cone was an author that I read during college, and he had done a lot of work in black liberation theology. And, uh, you know, I, I've always put it out there that really we as Armenian Christians have so much in common with the black experience. So much so that I've got a series of lectures called um, Obama. What was it? It was called uh, Oprah, Obama, and Us, or something like that. It was about 10 years ago. It, it's on the net somewhere. Anyway, um, it, you know, the black experience here in America, especially coming over as slaves, and now with what's happening in Black Lives Matter, and those of you who've been with us for uh, the long term know that every year, I, I put together a retreat to celebrate, to commemorate Martin Luther King, and most importantly is to keep his teaching alive within our community because he has a wealth of information, of knowledge, but most of all, a wealth of faith that he can pass along to us. And those of you who've gone through those uh, seminars, those, those gatherings, know how rich of a tradition there is out there in, in the Dr. Martin Luther King, um, I, it was, let's not say theology, but in, in, his, in his teachings. So James Cone was, is an author. I don't know if he's alive or dead, but um, I just came across his book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. 2011. I just started reading it and I opened it up and I'm starting to read these things and I'm realizing, hey, I am not off the wall. <laughs> this stuff, it's it's what we've been talking about. Listen to this. This is James Cone. He says, faith achieved its authenticity, authenticity only by questioning God. 
In other words, faith becomes authentic. When? When you start questioning God. Look at the experience of Thomas and Jesus, right? He questioned. I didn't see Jesus resurrected. You know, I saw him up on the cross. I saw him buried. I saw his body being buried. And now you you want me to believe that he came back after that brutal beating? I can't accept it. I doubt that he's alive. Even more than doubt, he said, it can't happen. Until I put my hands in the in the wounds, until I feel his side, I will not believe it. And uh, he's gotten that name Doubting Thomas. He's a doubter, right? Well, what is he doing? He's questioning faith. He's questioning that faith in, in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't become authentic, right, until he does question God. And what what's going on over here? And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him. And it's at that moment, that authenticity, that Thomas turns to Jesus and he says, um, my Lord and my God, right? It's a full, full confession. Those words, my Lord and my God, they're, they're right there, right in front of him. But let's talk a little bit about our personal faith, of where we are, what we do, the questions that we have of God. Sometimes we feel very a lot of guilt, like, should I be asking? Should I be doubting? And I think it's in those moments of doubt when we start questioning that we really get serious about our faith and we start asking the questions that reverberate within us. And so... All of a sudden, I'm reading this book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. It's about, um, it, well, it's too early for me to tell you. I just started it like a, um, a day ago. and But it's about the black experience here in America, post-slavery, but also about religion, about the cross. And, you know, I'm reading this, and I've got tears in my eyes because the story is the story we've been telling. yeah. First of all, this sentence, faith achieved, uh, faith achieved its authentic, authenticity only by questioning God. I mean, it's just like written in there. He's talking about something else and he talks about, well, you have to question. And I thought, wow, that's exactly right on target. That's how we believe. He talks about the cross. He talks about the cross that don't you can't be scared of it, that it has to have a meaning. It can't be this whitewashed cross that we stick on our necks and we look at it and we say, oh, how wonderful it is. He talks about the cross, that it's an instrument of torture. And he talks about the lynching tree, the instrument of torture, of killing. He talks about that instrument of torture for the Christian, the cross being a means of salvation. I mean, so many, so many parallels as, as I'm reading this. And then I get to this point, okay? Let me just read this to you. It's probably easier to read it than to... Um, than to try to paraphrase it, okay? Uh, let's see, this is from, the book that I'm reading from again is The Cross and the Lynching Tree. James Coney says, Lynching became so prevalent that the Boston branch of the Colored National League sent a letter to President William McKinney. Obviously, he's writing, you know, 
years ago, right? So the Boston branch sent a letter to President William McKinney demanding action. Are you ready for this? Listen to it. We have suffered, sir, since your accession to office from the hate and the violence of people claiming to be civilized, but who are not civilized, and you have seen our sufferings. Yet you have no time and no on no occasion opened your lips on our behalf. Is there no help in the federal arm for us? And even one word of audible pity, protest, and remonstrance. Black indeed we are, sir, but we are also men and citizens. Okay, he's writing this to President McKinley. (laughs) Sound familiar? Does this sound familiar, this, you know, have pity on us, help us out? Who, Who does this sound like? I mean, isn't this what we've been sharing with you for how long right now? Talking about, as Armenians, this this mistake that we rely on somebody else to fix our problems, right? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same letter. The same letter they sent to McKinney is the same letter that Armenians have been sending to presidents for the last at least the 50, 60 years, right? It's the same old, same old story. Hey, please resolve this for us until you get to a point where you say, hey, enough is enough. And you know what? This year, wow, President Biden, which I do support, I voted for him for president. I will come straight out and tell you that, that I did that. But to ask him to to validate our reality is wrong. And we saw that it was wrong because right after he acknowledged, he used the word, he pacified the Armenian people. Then he went ahead and he gave, um, I think it's something in the magnitude of $200 million to Azerbaijan. I'm not sure of the details, but it, it was very favorable for Azerbaijan. And we're seeing what the Azeris are doing right now to the Armenians. We see what's going on in Armenia, in Artsakh. And basically, we're okay because the president used the word genocide. And, you know, uh, James Cohn makes this point that, you know, the, the, the blacks, they were, um, they were fed up. They were fed up with what was going on. And at some point, you've got to realize that the politician has a loyalty to his constituency and has a loyalty to what? To the votes. And those votes are acquired by money. I mean, there are certain realities that we have to face. Just because a person is in office doesn't make them this um, this example of uh, moral fortitude. You know, it's like, come on. Like, let's get with the program. How did he get to be in that position? Well, you have to schmooze, and to schmooze means you have to bend a little bit. It means that you're not probably adhering to all of your principles, blah, 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 and all that. It's called negotiation. It's called living. It's called life. And let's stop pretending that these people are saints. Once you start doing, then there's enough room for us to look for the saints, or namely to look for God. And when you look at God, God's giving you an answer. God's giving you 
this um, stability that you're not going to find with the politicians. And of course, politicians are not just merely those people who are, are elected officials. Politicians are ones that schmooze us and get us to believe what they want us to believe in our own lives, too, in the negotiation process that we have for relationships, for finances, or whatever. And at some point, you realize that, hey, I'm going to be let down by these people. Why? Because nah, well, sometimes they're bad people. But for the most part, they're just people. And people will let let you down. I read the other day, um, and disclaimer, I'm not really a dog person. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a dog person. But it says, a dog is the only animal that loves you more than you love it. Um, how true. It's called um, that loyalty, right? Wouldn't it be great if people were loyal? But they're not. People are not. They let you down. And so at the end of the day, you look to God, who is this perfection. And in that perfection, you realize that you have an opportunity to be taken care of in the true sense, like the lilies of the field, like the sparrows of the air. And this means totally relinquishing your anxieties and your concerns and allowing God to do what he does, to be Heavenly Father. But it's not that easy, as you all know, right? It's not that easy to just kick back. It's not that easy, especially in this world. So we, we come up against conflict, and this is where church comes in. This is where our ideas need to be bounced off of one another. And that's why I say, you know, a, a good Bible study is one where we can take these ideas, we can bounce them off. Like, does it concern you that, you know, a politician could get up and say that, okay, I acknowledge your concerns. I'm here. I'm going to acknowledge genocide. And then in the next sentence, go out there and um, sell arms. I mean, does it concern you? I know as Armenians, we've almost literally bent over backwards for the Jewish community to show that, wow, you know, because of the Armenian genocide, the Holocaust happened including that famous statement by Adolf Hitler saying that, after all, who remembers the, the annihilation of the Armenians? And that, he says, in 1938, literally 15 years, only 15 years, only 15 years after the Armenian genocide. In other words, 15 years, that's all it takes for people to forget. People have already forgotten it. Okay, and so we go to great pains to show that the Jewish experience came after the Armenian experience, had you acknowledged the Armenian experience. And we walk hand in hand and say, look, the Jewish people, they're our brothers, they've gone through the same thing, and so on. And yet, what happened? During the war in Artsakh, the same Jewish brothers, so-called brothers, were selling arms to the enemy to what? To kill Armenians. So basically, children or grandchildren of Holocaust survivors were providing the weapons to kill survivors, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of the genocide. And that's appalling. I mean, you should be incensed at this, right? 
But we continue. We continue doing the same old, same old things. And that's why we come in with the next step, saying that it's not about politicians, that there is a God, there is a divine order, there is a system, and that system is in charge. But we have to be open to it. And so asking those questions, yeah, this is where our faith grows. When you start asking these questions, this is where you come face to face with these realities. And this is where your faith grows and it's fortified and and it becomes something that you can lean on to answer the questions that, that puzzle you in life. When we come back after the song, I share with you a, a puzzle, okay, a puzzle of sort. It's called Ethical Question. And I'll ask you that. And we'll go from there, okay? Hope you're with us right now. We take a break every week just to digest a little bit. This is my selection for this week. I told Jesus, be all right. Be all Said your father won't know your child if I change a name. Yes, he told me. Said your mother won't know your child. Child, if I change a name. 
Roberta Flack doing I Told Jesus. I told Jesus it'd be okay if he changed my name. But he told me, he told me, the world wouldn't know you. It's an emotional, emotional, uh, beautiful song. This is off of her first take album, one of one of my favorites. You know, it's one of those like ten songs. If you were on a desert island, that's this is one of those. <laughs> um, just needed to hear that today, especially as I'm preparing. I'm going to be speaking at the Martin Luther King Walk this Sunday in Glendale. It's against racism and just doing a lot of. Uh, a lot of soul searching myself because I have to put it all together. And we'll talk a little bit more about why it's important. And as far as making the Jesus that we have real, well, Jesus makes us real, right? When we, when, when he touches us, he changes us. That change, he changes our name. Roberta Flack, I'll have a link on today's show notes so you could check out this song and all of her great, great, great music. Some way to square the circle Feet slipping, sliding on the level Before we go any further, and you're going to have a fun one in just a couple moments, okay? But let me take a few moments to talk about liberation theology because, yes, I, I alluded to it. I spoke about James Cohn and what is liberation theology? It's basically, a, a very simply put, it's basically understanding Jesus Christ as liberator. As, as someone who comes to liberate those who are captive, as he expresses in, uh, in his first appearance, right after his uh, baptism, he goes away for 40 days, a time of seclusion, and he returns. And when he comes into his town, he goes into the synagogue, he opens up the prophet Isaiah, and he says, for this I have come. And among those things that he has come for, by the way, you could read this in Luke chapter 4, but specifically, he says, I have come to set free those who are oppressed, to give liberty to the captives. And uh, certainly those who are captive, those who are held as slaves, there are so many socioeconomic uh, reasons, there are political reasons, there's a basic colonialism, there's superiority of races that play into this, I'm better than you, and so I will take you as captive, you become a slave to me, and so on and so on. So when you talk about liberation theology, it's this huge, huge area of theology which is very practical. And for me, if you followed what In His Shoes is all about, what Armadoxy is all about, it's about making that Jesus that we talk about on Sunday taking him out of the church and realizing that he has to fit in to our lives, that his message is not something that you just wind up on Sundays and listen to and feel good about, but it has to be an expression that, that guides our lives, that makes us who we are as people and therefore accountable for our lives. 
Yes, that's important. If you want to believe at the end of life, you are accountable for that life. Well, it has to be based on something, right? It's just not, you're not going to be accountable if you're a robot, if you just go up there and you say, well, I love Jesus and, you know, I, I did what <laughs> what I was supposed to do. I went to church every Sunday. Well, what is there? What is there to do in that, right? Get into a car, open up a radio, turn on the internet. I mean, there has to be more. That Jesus that you hear, that Jesus that talks to you, has to talk in your lives. And liberation theology is a radical way of expressing that, and it's something that I grew up with back in the 70s. I mentioned one of the authors, James Cone, but there were so many others. Not only for black America, liberation, especially in, in South South America, and just, I'm, I'm touching it very mildly right now. It was back in 1990s when I dared to write and pen an article called... Um, uh, called Liberation Theology for Armenia, or Artsakh. Yes, in 1990, and I'll put a link on today's show notes. Check it out. It'll give you some idea of how to make these connections. But what I really want to talk about is how we make that switch over when you've got this background. Okay, so you've got this faith. You've got this belief in Jesus Christ. And how does that affect you in in your daily life, the decisions that you make? And it's not as it's not as easy today. And certainly, we're seeing with this issue between the races, we're seeing it fold out in the world situation. Certainly today, as we're seeing things uh, in the Middle East between Israel and the Palestinians once again firing up. And just you know, the latest is that you know the. The United States is brokering something along with Egypt, trying to get them to have peace in the Middle East. And you know that that is all temporary because the basic fundamental issues have not been resolved. So we keep putting band-aids on it and everybody says, okay, yeah, these are the peace. Peace really comes when we have this understanding and this respect for one another, which if you go and you see that respect is is not there. So how do you get that respect? How do you make things happen in your lives, in world lives? How do you make your faith real? And the first, most obvious way is you just do it, right? But we're seeing that it's not that easy anymore. It's not just a question of right and wrong. There are levels of gray. There are shades of gray. We've got to figure out, is it okay? Is it not okay? Well, maybe on certain certain conditions, it's okay. And this gets into the field of ethics, of morality, of how do we make our ethical decisions? Where does morality come from? Uh, you know, to me, I, I, I'm very scared when people say that these are moral decisions. Or uh, back several years ago, there was somebody who said... Um, we have to have the the moral majority. That's what it was. Yeah, the moral majority in this country decided this. Well, who's going to say by what standards are things moral or immoral? Right? 
By whose standards? There's people, for instance, you know, if you've been brought up with this idea that the that the heaven heaven belongs to you and you have to keep it pure, you and it's okay to kill people uh, so that they don't get into your goodness. I mean, that's the whole idea of what's been at the root of racism, right? That there is a superiority of races and you have everything that you, you can do, anything you want to prevent others from blemishing the complexion of that superiority. Yeah, and for many, many, many years here in the United States, you know, interracial couples... In fact, there was a movie called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner by with Sidney Poitier. This is back in 1967. It's a big, big deal. And it was on the late night movie just a few months ago and happened to be watching it. And it occurred to me that this is no longer an issue. This is a non-issue today. There are interracial couples. Well, why was it a big deal? 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago. Why was it a big deal? Well, it comes down to the superiority of of races and the idea the white supremacy said that, you know, if you brought the black seed in. And so what was the reason for lynchings here in, in America? Yes, in America, this used to happen. Lynchings, why would they? The top reason for it was they would put the crime of rape. They would even make up the crime of rape because well it came down to the the superiority of one race and you're not going to infuse in it the um the inferiority of another race and so as white supremacists saw their the the white race as being the superior the bottom line is if you allow a black person to have sex with a uh, with a white person you're, you're blemishing the entire uh, gene pool. And so this was reason they'd go out there and they'd hang. And juries would not convict these people who would hang. In fact, here in this country, there would be public lynchings. Believe it or not, yes, Christian country that they call it like that. You would take your family. They would, they would report like 20, 30,000 people. You'd go with your family and there would be public lynchings of black people and why well they would tell you that yes they are inferior and uh, uh, in fact they weren't even human they would tell you and uh, i mean this is part of history and we're talking about a what quote unquote a christian country this is why i take go to a lot of pain here on in issues is asking people to to Really think about your faith as not just something that you read about or you talk about, but something that you live. I mean, how could you justify any kind of violence in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said you conquer through love? I mean, how could you possibly uh, put any, any kind of violence against any other human being? as a Christian. Yet people justified it through their faith by saying we are guardians of that faith. We do not want impurity in that faith. So there's always people who are going to figure out a way. And this is what makes this all very, very, very dangerous. Um, I mean, the, the examples are so many, but it's important for us to understand that our, that our God 
that Christ comes into our lives and he demands from us an answer. And the way we answer is the way we live our lives. It's not just pie in the sky. It's not just theoretical. It's living your life. And so, look, some of the biggest issues that are no no longer issues today. Well, same way. Today we have issues which in 100 years may not be issues. For instance, LGBT rights right now. I mean, right now, it's a very big issue. And this came up a few years ago, you know, where you would have a homosexual couple, not marriage, but they would be uh, cohabitating. They would consider themselves partners in a loving, monogamous relationship for 25, 30 years. And one of the partners succumbs to a horrible illness, goes into the hospital, and the other partner has absolutely no rights to... Not even to visit. Yes, why? Who are you? Well, I'm I'm just a friend. I'm a partner. No, I'm sorry. The government recognizes marriage. That's the partnership. So now you have to come up with alternatives, and now you have to figure out that it's really unfair to these people who have been in love, who have been uh, together for twenty five, thirty years, and you're denying them this opportunity to be together. So this entire field of ethics, of morality, these are areas that have to be addressed as a human being, as a person living in this world based on your on your your faith, what your background is. And all I'm saying is that you can't just go to church on Sunday and say, hey, this is beautiful, I love this, and then it has no application in your life, in your everyday life. Here's a little puzzle. Let me let me share this one with you. This is from a column I used to read quite a bit. I, I don't know whatever happened to her. Marilyn von Savant. I had clipped this out years ago and, and I really like this story because well let me let me read it to you. Uh, say that a man and his friend are leaving for a trip into the desert. The first man ties a barrel of water enough for all to his camel for the trip out. And his friend ties another barrel to his own camel for the return. That sounds right, right? Two people going out in the desert. They've got a barrel of water, one for the trip out to the desert, one for the trip back. But their wives, who have never met, don't want them to survive the trip. How horrible, how horrible is this? Yes, these wives don't want these guys to come back. So the night before, the first man's wife sneaks out to the friend's camel. Okay, this is the camel that's going to be, that has the water that's going to return. Okay, important to remember. And pours poison into the barrel. She figures they'll drink the poison and die on the return. Later that night, the friend's wife sneaks out to his camel and makes a small hole in the barrel so the water will leak out slowly. She calculates they'll have none for the return. Okay, so sure enough, so so you got it? So they go, this guy's barrel gets filled up with poison, and the other one comes and puts a hole in, and they've never met each other, okay? Sure enough, the two men die on the way back to from their trip. So they both get out to the desert, but the second one now has no water, not even poison water in it. Okay. 
So the question is, who, if anyone, is guilty of their murder? That's the question. It wouldn't seem to be the wife of the first man, because they never drank the poison, right? Yeah, that makes sense. They didn't drink the poison, so you can't blame you can't blame her. But neither it would be the fault of the sec- uh, of of the wife of the friend, because she what she did is she put a hole in it and she prevented the men from de- drinking the poison. Although they both died. <laughs> because there was no water. Sorry, don't mean to laugh. Laughing at the situation that we're up against, right? Sometimes there aren't clear answers. And this is really the challenge of our lives, is to be able to take our reasoning power, to be able to synthesize what we have as a background, as a history, as our uh, as a faith, and put it together. Not everything is black and white. Is it wrong to murder? Yes, it's wrong to murder. But who's mur- who murdered who in this story? Who's liable for this? And all of Western civilization, as we know, is based on this liability issue. Who did what? Look at the your Cain and Abel story. This this horrible story of one who offers God vegetables and one who offers God meat. And somehow God likes meat. Well, it, it gives you an answer. Like it or not, and I don't like it, it gives you an answer. It gives you an answer. God didn't like that one offering. And all of life is filled with these kind of uh, questions, with these kind of dilemmas, situations, and these kind of answers. Now it's up to us to rise above them. And to see them for what they are, some of them as stories, as myths, to, to, to get us to think. And we come back to the first, first part of today's show. It's okay. It's okay to think. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. It's okay to ask those questions. All right, I'm going to call it a day right now. Here's Susie to make her announcement. I'll be back and let you know what's going on this weekend, okay? Before getting back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the Donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vosgen. 
Thank you, Susie, for that announcement. Thank you, all of you, for all of your love, your your prayers. They go a long way, and I really, really appreciate them. I mostly appreciate you tuning in and sharing this this podcast with people. I was at a funeral just a few days ago. Somebody came up and said, you know, we listened to your podcast. And just, you know, I, it's, I never know where it's landing. And I think that's one of the exciting things about this is that every so often somebody will pick it up and it might mean something. The way other people's works, the way your message is to me, land in my heart, and it means so much to me. This Sunday is Pentecost. It is the birth of the Christian church. It is the first day that the Christian church became international. Yes, Acts chapter 2. It is the internationalization of the Christian church, the first steps to globalization. That's right, and it's in Scripture, Acts chapter 2. Uh, it's Pentecost in Armenian Hokekalus, the coming of the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll be in church and you'll be celebrating. If if not in church, then celebrate with me. I'll be at the St. Leon Armenian Cathedral, Serpots Remontians, the name of that cathedral. It's in Burbank, California, and we will be streaming. I will have a special message that day. His Eminence Archbishop Hovnan has appointed me as the, the preacher of the diocese. Once a month I come out with a, a statement that that becomes the statement for the diocese. It's called the voice of the church. And I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll follow along. That's this Sunday. And then right afterwards, if you happen to be in the Los Angeles area, please join us on the Martin Luther King Walk for Peace and Justice, Race Restoration. It is um, a walk that was scheduled for January, but because of the pandemic, it was postponed. So here we are in May. And I think that's kind of a neat thing to celebrate Martin Luther King throughout the year, especially in May, especially in June, July, whenever you can. A great, great uh, individual who brought the love of Christ to people. Doesn't get much better. Well, that does it for our show today. And um, we are always on the web. Um, Just a phone call, a text, a message, a email away from you, okay? (laughs) So keep me close to you. Let me know what's going on with your lives. And like I promise, I can't get back to every email, but I sure try, okay? I really, really try. So on behalf of Susie, our producer, and myself, Father Boskin, I thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as we enjoyed producing it for you. And I look forward to taking the next step with you again next week. And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. The management and production crew of vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer.
forgot to ask you if uh, you're seeing the same sky as we are. 